Guardian Unlimited. Order. Questions to the Prime Minister. Andrew Stunnell. Question number one, Mr Speaker. Uh, Mr Speaker, sir, this morning I am meeting some ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in the House, I will have further such meetings later today. Stunnell. The Prime Minister will know that there has been a drop of 173 police officers across England and Wales in the first six months of this year. He will also know that there has been a cut of 216 police officers in Greater Manchester. Bearing, bearing in mind that his staff believe that there has been far too much police attention to his area, and my <laughs> constituents believe there has been far too much attention, far too little attention to policing in my area, will he arrange for a transfer of resources and have a good night's sleep? Prime Minister. Well, first of all, let me remind the Honourable Gentleman that actually we've got record numbers of police, over 140,000. Um, that is some 14,000 more than we inherited in 1997. In addition to that, of course, we've got thousands of community support officers. And in addition to that, of course, as a result of the anti-social behaviour legislation, then in areas such as his, we're now able to take action against those people making life hell for people in their communities. And what have all three of these things got in common? The Liberal Democrats voted against every single part of it. So I am delighted if Liberal Democrats ask about law and order. Today we have seen the takeover of Chorus UK by Tata, a takeover which will affect every single one of Chorus UK's 24,000 employees. Will my right honourable friend commit the government to adding its voice and support to ensuring continued investment in the UK steel industry, a commitment which will be warmly welcomed by Chorus workers in my constituency and elsewhere in the UK? First of all, I would like to pay tribute to the work that uh, Chorus employees do in, in my Honourable Friends constituency and elsewhere in the country, and I can assure her we will continue to support the investment in our steel industry, which remains obviously in a difficult competitive uh, atmosphere today internationally, but I know that the Chorus workforce are doing their very best to make sure they can compete successfully and safeguard jobs. David Cameron. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Home Secretary has said that problems at the Home Office will take two and a half years to sort out. Clearly, a long-term approach is needed. So can the Prime Minister guarantee that the current Home Secretary will be in his job for any longer than four and a half months? I can certainly guarantee that he will continue to make the investment in prison places, for example, in community support officers. And I point out to the Right Honourable Gentleman that just last week we had the latest crime statistics. We show yet again a fall in recorded crime. And we now have a situation where over the last 10 years, whatever the challenges in the Home Office, crime has actually fallen. It doubled under the government that he supported. The fact is, violent crime has doubled and our prisons are in crisis and this government's had 10 years to sort it out. Yeah. Now, I asked about the Home Secretary's future and because the Prime Minister is going, he cannot give any sort of guarantee. Isn't that, isn't that the whole problem with this government? In any organisation, if you've got long-term problems, you can't have a short-term chief executive. Doesn't the Prime Minister realise that in these circumstances, a minister like the Home Secretary just cannot plan for the future? 
first of all, let me just point out that as well as crime overall being down, the most serious violent crime actually fell by 20% in the last year. Secondly, let me say to him that we are increasing the investment in prisons. We've actually increased in real terms by 36% over the past 10 years. We're about to build another 8,000 places. And let me make it clear, he opposed the investment in our prison places. But in addition to that, as a result of the fiscal rule that his shadow chancellor has got, which means that he's to share the proceeds of growth between tax cuts and investment, he can't even commit to the 8,000 places. So there's no point in lecturing me about it. We don't have to take the, the Prime Minister's word for it, because the Home Secretary's told us his department isn't fit for purpose and it's going to get worse. Now, let's look at his case. The person responsible for giving him the money to sort out this problem is his bitter rival who wants him to fail. So I ask the Prime Minister again, when the Home Secretary doesn't know if he's going to have a job in four and a half months' time, how can he plan for the future? As a matter of fact, there was a specific agreement to increase prison funding last year. That's the reason we're able to commit to 8,000 extra places. And I repeat, not merely did he oppose that investment that's given us the extra prison places, 2,500 coming on stream this year, but as a result of the policy he wants, if we adopted that policy, we could only afford half of those places. So the fact of the matter is that my right honourable friend, as a result of the strong economic record of the Chancellor, is able to provide the investment and he's opposed to it. The Prime Minister talks about his policy, he's not going to be here to implement it. When is he going to realise that it's all over? Just look at his cabinet. They're falling over themselves to attack his foreign policy so they can become deputy leader, and the other half are appearing on picket lines to protest against his health policy. But there's nothing he can do about it. Can't he see it is time for him to go? Took a long time building up to that. Let me just compare for a moment the record of this government on crime, on numbers of police, and on asylum and immigration with the record of the previous government. We have cut crime. We have managed to ensure that, for example, for the first time ever, the Home Office is actually expelling more unfounded asylum claims than we're taking in. One in five was the figure when we came to office. A backlog of 60,000 we inherited, now down to a few thousand. That is a record of change and investment of which he, we can be proud and which opposed every single inch of the way. Why can't the Prime Minister see the reality staring him in the face? The government can't plan. Ministers are treading water. They are all waiting for the Chancellor and not listening to him. His authority is draining away. Why doesn't he accept what everybody knows? It is now in the national interest for him to go. I tell him what I believe is in the national interest. That we continue with a strong economy, with the highest levels of employment, the lowest levels of unemployment that we continue with our policies in the health service that have seen waiting lists fall by 400,000, that we continue with our policies on education that have seen the best school results ever, and that we continue to reduce crime, not as his government did put it up. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Thank you, Mr Speaker. My right honourable friend will be aware of the massive investment in our museums and our galleries that have led to millions of new visitors. In light of this, we would like to comment on the decision by the London Borough of Wandsworth only nine months after a council election where they remained silent about this 
to close the very popular Wanda Museum and to threaten the Battersea Arts Centre with closure is an example of a Tory council choosing cuts of a cultural heritage. And I think, just to add to what my honourable friend is saying, of course, we've increased substantially the grant to local government. And so there's absolutely no cause for the type of closure of museums and arts centres that perform such a good um, local role. And, of course, it's this government, as a result of our free museum policy, that have enabled literally millions of more visitors to go to museums, including children. But it's a very, very telling example of the difference in values between a Labour government and a Tory one. Does the Prime Minister share public concern that at 5% the conviction rate for the crime of rape in this country is one of the lowest in Europe? Isn't it time for a wholesale review of the law in this area so as to ensure that we provide proper protection for women and for men who are subject to this traumatic and violent assault? Well, of course, we already are looking at how we improve um, the conviction rate for rape. However, I think it's just fair to point out that over 80% of rape cases involve non-stranger rape. In other words, the, the, the particular um, alleged assailant is actually known to the victim. And over 50% of those cases are where there's either a partner involved or an ex-partner. Now, for those reasons, I think it is obvious it will always be more difficult to secure a conviction. But I would say, as the most recent report says, the way the Police and Crown Prosecution Service are working in order to help victims of rape has been a significant improvement over the past few years. Everyone who's ever met a rape victim will know that they're devastated not only by the experience but by the investigation which follows. Is the Prime Minister satisfied that standards of care and support are good enough? Well, I, I am satisfied that they have improved dramatically, actually, over the past few years. And I think that, that the fact is that victims are treated with far greater care um, and far greater attention to the trauma um, than was the case, say, a decade or a couple of decades ago. But I do point out, because I think it's, it's, it's very important we recognise this, I mean, the actual numbers of convictions, of course, have gone up, not down. But it's true that the proportion of um, claims that result in conviction has gone down. But I do think it, it is fair to point out that since such a large proportion involve people who have either, either are or have been in a relationship with, the, um, with the, the, the alleged assailant, or alternatively are known to them, it is inevitable it's going to be more difficult to secure conviction. But I entirely agree it's important we continue to see what more we can do to make sure that this horrendous crime is treated properly. Kid Hoy. Is the Prime Minister aware of the anger and disappointment in the communities of Lambeth and Southwark over his Secretary of State for Health's decision to close the 24-hour emergency clinic at the Maudsley? Does he realise that in the teeth of opposition from two local councils, all party support, five local MPs, including two of his two, two cabinet ministers and his own PPS, the, the Secretary of State went ahead and did this. Would he have a quiet word with her and ask her why she thinks she knows more than all those people in the community who know how important this clinic is? Um, I'm, I'm sure if I can uh, point out to my honourable friend that, of course, there will uh, be local consultations that have been involved that have put forward these proposals. I'm perfectly happy to have a look at it, but I'm sure she would want to point out also that overall healthcare in her area, as in other parts of the country, has improved quite dramatically thanks to the investment and change that has been made. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Um, last week, the Prime Minister refused to answer a question about the loan scandal. May I invite the Prime Minister to explain precisely why he's refusing to answer questions about this? Is he taking the fifth 
Is he saying that anything he might say in this House might tend to incriminate him? As the Honourable Gentleman knows, for perfectly obvious reasons, there's nothing I can say on this subject. Jamie Reid. Question number three, Mr Speaker. The first meeting of the forum was held in Paris in November last year, chaired by my noble friend, the Energy Minister, and the French Industry Minister. The working groups are focusing on specific areas for collaboration, and there will be a follow-up meeting in London in March on this issue. Jamie, I thank my honourable friend for that reply and for being the only party leader to support the industry. Given the huge international growth of the uh, nuclear industry, perhaps best evidenced by the emergence of the Global Nuclear Energy Partnership, how will the forthcoming energy white paper enable the UK nuclear industry to capitalise upon these vast commercial opportunities? Well, I hope um, that within the next uh, few weeks the white paper will indicate how how we are able to take forward the licensing um, regime for a new generation of nuclear power stations. And I, as I said when I was up in my honourable friend's constituency a short time ago, around the world today, people are recognising that it's going to be very difficult for us to have energy security or indeed to reduce uh, greenhouse gas emissions and CO2 emissions without replacing our existing nuclear power stations. If we don't take this action now, and we have to take these decisions now, we will have a situation over the next few years where our dependence on imports of gas will rise and we'll be unable um, either to meet our CO2 emissions targets or indeed to make sure that we have proper energy security. And for that reason, I was very heartened to be told when I was in uh, my honourable friend's constituency that his constituents are very willing to participate in this new nuclear power programme. Paul Holmes. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The multinational company GKN recently announced its proposal to close a factory in Chesterfield, the GKN Sheepbridge Stokes plant. 420 engineering workers based in a modern, efficient factory face losing their jobs to Asia or to Latin America. What hope or support can the Prime Minister offer to those 420 skilled workers, given that employment is now at its highest level since 1997, Inflation at its highest level since 1992, interest rates going up and the Chancellor's policies failing. I think, uh, first of all, let me say, of course, I'm um, very sorry and extend my sympathy to any of the constituents of the Honourable Gentleman who have lost their, their jobs or are likely to lose their jobs. And I can assure him that the local job centre plus and the government will do everything we can, as we've done in other situations, to put a support mechanism in place to ensure that they get... Um, alternative employment. I have to say to him, however, uh, the economy of Chesterfield, like the economy in the rest of the country, is infinitely stronger than it was in 1997. Employment is up, unemployment is down, and yes, it's true there have been a quarter percent rises in interest rates recently, but his constituents will remember when interest rates were 10% for four years and 15% for periods of months at a time. So I have to say to him, I think one of the reasons we can confidently expect people to get alternative employment is precisely the strength of the economy. Mr. Speaker, following the report of the Northern Ireland Police Ombudsman into state collusion and murder in Northern Ireland, has the Prime Minister been made aware of a statement last Sunday by a former Assistant Chief Constable that MI5 had paid out of its own funding the payments to informers who were involved in at least ten murders and continued to pay them? Would the Prime Minister acknowledge that the Ombudsman report into these, this collusion dealt only with 
part of Belfast City and one unit of the Loyalist paramilitary organisation. And much, much more was happening throughout Northern Ireland. Does he not think that this would warrant a statement to the House oh, and a debate from the floor of the House? First of all, let me say to you, my honourable friend, that um, any form of collusion or improper activity by any part of the police or security services would be completely wrong and would, of course, be deeply to be regretted. And we are looking carefully at the report that has been published recently. We will take whatever action is appropriate. I do, however, want to say that it's important to emphasize, as I think the report itself did, that this concerns a minority of people who obviously, of course, should not have been engaged in the activities they were engaged in, but I don't think that should take away from the work that the majority of officers, both in the police and the security service, the majority of work that they did, which was of enormous benefit to the local community. So I think it's important, whilst we deal with the, the wrongdoing, that we don't have a completely unbalanced picture of how the police and the MI5 operated in Northern Ireland. David Heathcote, Emery. Mr. Speaker. The German presidency of the EU is attempting to revive the failed European constitution. Why is the Prime Minister colluding in this by appointing two officials to negotiate the process in private, in clear breach of all his assurances about openness and the need to involve Parliament and the public? And if the constitution is revived in any form, will he keep his promise to allow the British people a vote on the matter in a national referendum. Well, first of all, um, let me explain to uh, the Honourable Gentleman uh, that there's no question of this, the right Honourable Gentleman, my apologies, um, th there is no question of us agreeing to anything behind closed doors with the German presidency or anyone else. Last year, we agreed that we would take stock following the French and, and Dutch um, no votes in the referendum. The German presidency, therefore, is obliged to take forward proposals uh, for the Council later this year. Of course, we are in discussion with the German government as to what those proposals would be. It would be bizarre if we said we weren't prepared to talk to you about it. And I, I have to say to him that let us wait and see what the German presidency actually come up with. Our position on the referendum and the constitutional treaty remains unchanged. But I really do believe, particularly in the light of the strong bilateral relationship we have with the German government today and the importance of Europe to this country, that it would be a wonderful thing for the politics of this country if people like himself could liberate themselves from this absurd and antiquated view of Europe. North Yorkshire. North Yorkshire PCT is restricting access to uh, some non-emergency treatments to uh, reduce its deficit, and local GPs say this could put patients at risk. Will the Prime Minister ask the Strategic Health Authority to broker a meeting between the PCT and the doctors as a matter of urgency to ensure that the GPs and the PCT work together to protect patients, to balance a budget, and to safeguard access to the same range of NHS services in North Yorkshire as in other parts of the country. I, I certainly would be uh, happy to, 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 to do so in arranging such a meeting. I mean, and I think my uh, honourable friend uh, puts his, his case in exactly the right way. They have to deal with the deficit, that is absolutely clear, um, because despite the very large additional sums of investment, that, that deficit is still there. And of course there will be, in all the primary care trusts, as a result of the new system, as payment by results and practice-based commissioning and patient choice, there will be hard adjustments that will have to be made in some of the primary care trusts. But I agree it's important they're done in such a way that continues to safeguard the huge improvements in performance of the NHS for patients. 
Roger Williams. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Six years ago, Kirsty Jones, a near neighbour of mine, was brutally raped and murdered in Thailand, and her murderer is still at large. Indeed, the Royal Thai Police at one time closed the file. But uh, because of the persistence of the David Powys Police, and particularly her parents, uh, the Thai government have now referred it to the Special Investigation Bronze. But a number of us are still concerned about the lack of progress and the failure to follow up certain lines of inquiry. Will the Prime Minister agree to meet with me and Kirsty's parents uh, to ensure that the case gets fresh impetus in Thailand, that justice is delivered for the parents, and that Thailand is a safer place for young people to visit? Perhaps on on the possibility of a meeting, I can can come uh, back to him on that. But I would like to express my condolences, I'm sure the whole House would, uh, to the Honourable Gentleman Constituent's family for the loss of their daughter. And as he knows, that this has been raised by um, foreign office ministers over a long period of time. We've been closely involved with the authorities in Bangkok in trying to make progress on this case. I know that uh, foreign office officials continue um, to meet the family, I think, weekly. Um, and we will try to do everything we can to bring this to a proper conclusion. But I- I'm happy to try and arrange some form of meeting. I'll have to come back to him as to whether that meeting should be appropriate with, with myself. They have a... <coughs> can I ask the Prime Minister about workers' rights, Mr Speaker? Um, there is more to do on the question of trade union collective rights, but much has already been done on individual rights and health and safety. And that has been done by enshrining into UK law many of the principles of the European Social Charter. So as I go around Merthyr Tidwell and Romney telling people why they should vote Labour in the Assembly elections, can I have two assurances from the Prime Minister? One is that the good work set out in the Warwick Agreement about the collective activity is taken forward in this Parliament. And secondly, that any siren voices there may be to withdraw from the European Social Chapter are rejected soundly, whether they come from the Tory toffocracy or dysfunctional policy wonks at number 10. I was was sort of uh, with him up to the last part of that. Um, I don't think anyone suggested we withdraw from the social chapter. It's just worth pointing out that as a result of the changes we have made, just three things... First of all, a minimum wage that helps now millions of workers in this country get a decent living wage. Secondly, of course, issues to do with parental leave and maternity pay, maternity leave, huge advances, a doubling of maternity leave and maternity pay. And, of course, as a result of signing the social chapter that was so bitterly opposed by the party opposite, we actually have paid holiday leave for the first time. And this is fantastically important for hundreds of thousands of some of the lowest paid workers in the country. And I cannot believe that any party, other than a party looking at the past rather than the future, could possibly agree to withdraw from the European Social Chapter today. The the Prime Minister is known for his close association with President George W. Bush. But given all that's befallen all of the Prime Minister's men and women in recent days, is not now the more relevant association with President Richard Milhouse Nixon? (laughs) Is there a cover-up in Downing Street? Well, it is interesting, isn't it, that the Honourable Gentleman should raise that question when we are just about to have a Scottish election campaign. And why doesn't he get up and put to me his case for independence and separation in Scotland? And I'll tell him the reason he doesn't do it 
because he knows that policy will be a disaster for the Scottish economy, a disaster for living stands in Scotland. And the reason he can't raise a Scottish question with me is because he doesn't dare. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Last year, the Royal Society for the Protection of Birds... Last year, the Royal Society for the Protection of Birds purchased 170 hectares of land at Hesketh Outmarsh in the Ribble Estuary in my constituency, land that was <coughs> rescued from the sea 20 years ago. In a few months' time, there would be breaches made in the seawall to allow this land to return to Saltmarsh. That will allow a nature reserve to develop, but more importantly, it will ensure that the coast of Lancashire is protected from flooding as a result of climate change. Would my right honourable friend congratulate the RSPB on this initiative? Order. Oh, order. Oh, I think the Prime Minister can answer. Yes, I think I can. Uh, yes, I will uh, congratulate them. I, I, I also would, uh, would like to point out that the, the two and a half million pounds that I think is being devoted to this project, some of that is coming from the Environment Agency. But this will be a, a, a major advance for the environment, for the local habitat, and it indicates the importance of having an environment policy that, of course, is about um, reducing greenhouse gas emissions, but also protects our natural environment in the proper way. Yeah. Mr. Lou. According to the Treasury's public service agreements, the Home Office is ahead of schedule to meet its targets to increase public confidence in the criminal justice system. <laughs> Does the Prime Minister agree? It's, it, it could be, of course, because crime has actually fallen. Because, because, no, because the chances of being a victim of crime are at their lowest for 25 years. Because we do have record numbers of police, and because there are more offences being brought to justice, and because the reduction in ineffective trials is enormous. So for all of those reasons, yes, I think that is right. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister will be aware that Wigan is a four-star council, three-star primary care trust and three-star hospital trust. He may not be aware that we also have the best-performing lift uh, organisation in the country. There has recently opened a new uh, centre, the Boston Centre, which is bringing renal dialysis for the first time to people in Wigan. Can I invite him to come to Wigan to open this, to see how this magnificent facility is bringing healthcare closer to the patients in Wigan, and I can promise him that he'll be able to meet Billy Boston, the greatest ever rugby league player that has donned a cherry and white of Wigan, uh, when he comes. Well, um, thank my honourable friend for, for that invitation. And um, of course, the, the Boston Centre, which is a, a, a 30 uh, million pound uh, investment will, of course, bring services closer to patients. But this is happening up and down the country. And it's worth just pointing out for all the, the challenges on financial deficits, the fact is waiting lists are coming down. There are more people being treated closer to home. They're getting faster treatment. And indeed, as the GP services report showed, actually people are getting access to the system better than ever before. And this type of renal uh, um, dialysis that's going to be delivered closer to people will mean that they have far more control of their own circumstances and it reduces the pressure on hospitals. And that's the reason why the investment and reform have to go together. David Heath. Mr. Mr Speaker, successive Home Secretaries have produced about 3,000 new criminal offences. That's one a day for 10 years. What they haven't produced is enough prison places to avoid another crisis. Does he believe 
that one in ten prisoners who are assessed as functionally psychotic should be in prison or in secure mental health units. Of course I believe it's important they're in the appropriate setting, but for a Liberal Democrat to accuse us of not building enough prison places, if we... Well, he talks about the 3,000 offences. I suppose they've got one thing in common. The Lib Dems have voted against them all, even for the most serious and violent offences. And we know what the Liberal Democrat prison policy would be. It would be that no one would go to prison because they wouldn't have any tough laws in order to make sure they did. So I have to say to the Honourable Gentleman, I'm delighted that more the Liberal Democrats raise the issue of prison and law and order, the happier I am. Tony Ray, number two. Can it be true that we had to pay GPs a lot more money to do a lot less work? And now, and now we have to pay them a lot more money to take on the work that we paid them to stop doing. No. No. I, I will... Uh... I, will, I don't always do this, but in this instance, I will stick up for the GPs. Actually, they are doing a lot more work as a result of the National Service Framework. Yes, they are. And part of the reason why, as the recent report on Monday showed, we now have 90% of people gaining access within 48 hours to the GP, as opposed to just 50% when we came to office. One of the reasons for that is actually the enhanced provisions in the GP contract. And I think there is nothing wrong. I know that the Right Honourable Gentleman is now committed to renegotiating the GP contract, but I think there's nothing wrong with our GPs be, being paid the best in Europe, provided they're delivering a better service, and I believe they are. Bernard Jenkins. In 1988, the, the Prime Minister was warned by President Clinton's Secretary of State not to agree at San Malo an autonomous defence capability for the EU which would duplicate and compete with NATO. Uh, is he aware that the NATO Secretary-General has, has yesterday warned, and I quote, uh, that, uh, NATO, that the EU and NATO would be unable to work together in a global crisis and that the distance between them is astounding? Or is the Secretary-General, a, a Dutchman incidentally, just believe in an antiquated and absurd view of Europe? As, as I recall it, um, he, in his, his previous incarnation, of course, supported European defence. So let me tell the Honourable Gentleman why I disagree so much with them over European defence. Of course it is important for Britain to maintain its strong relationship in NATO, and many of the operations, as within Afghanistan, will be conducted with NATO. But in circumstances where the Americans, for example, don't want to be engaged, it makes sense also... Well, I, I wish he wouldn't shake his head before I've even given him the answer. You know, something of an open mind. The fact is there are operations that we need to do with other European countries where the US isn't engaged and it makes perfect sense to do that as part of a European mission. And I think there is now somewhere in the region of 10 or 11 such missions round the world. They operate perfectly well and not in any conflict with NATO. Order. Guardian Unlimited.